DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Let me read one more citation with regard to the little way. And this is from a letter written by Sister Marie of the Trinity. Sister Marie of the Trinity was one of those five novices that Therese assisted uh, during her, her last years. A friendship developed between them. When Marie entered, she was three years younger than Therese. For the first time, Therese was not the youngest in the monastery anymore. Marie had entered a, a Carmel in Paris It had not worked out. She had returned home and was now making a second try in the Carmel at Lisieux. And she was not an entirely easy character. She's a wonderful woman. You get to like her as you get to know her. But she could be rambunctious, difficult in some ways. And there was some real question of whether she would make it this time in Carmel. And without Therese, help probably would not have. And Marie developed a a great love for Therese, was one of the witnesses to her life. And at this point, it's years after Therese's death, and um, she's writing to another sister, and in the letter she refers to the little way of Therese. You see, the way to be happy on the little way of Therese is to abandon yourself to God and to think of yourself as little as possible. Not Not even to seek keeping an account of whether you make progress or not. Am I doing better? Don't worry about any of that. That's not our business. Here is the practical. This is where the little way leads in terms of how we live our life. What do we need to do then to live the little way? Well, we can almost predict at this point, given what we've already said about um, heroism and the small daily things. We have only to try to perform all the little acts of daily life with the greatest possible love. And there it is. And that's why I say the little way, far from being a settling for less, is a freeing of the heart to be heroic in what God has given most of us every day of our lives, and that's the small daily things that we're called to do. And to do these with the greatest possible love. Uh, Actually, it was Sister Marie of the Trinity when she was a novice, who at one point was sort of languidly walking across uh, the courtyard from one place to another, to whatever her next task was, and Therese saw it. And she said to her, no, is that the way we take care of our children? Go with energy to the next task. Spiritual children, she meant that, for whom their lives are meant to be a sacrifice and and to bless through their prayer and their sacrifice. We have only to perform all the little acts of daily love with the greatest possible love. To recognize humbly but without sadness our thousand imperfections, which are always resurfacing. I missed it again. 
here was a child who asked my help and I just was impatient and didn't have time, or whatever it might be, which are always resurfacing. And to ask God with confidence, with confidence, ask God grace to transform them into love. I'm going to read that again because I think that that one sentence is about as good a description of the little way in practice as we will ever find. We have only, so we have only to try to perform all the little acts of daily life with the greatest possible love. To recognize humbly, so the little way is humble, we recognize our limitations, but without sadness. Our thousand imperfections, and sometimes that's the way it feels, you know, again and again and this and that. Our thousand imperfections which are always resurfacing, and they are. And to ask God, so it's his strength, not ours, to ask God with confidence to transform those imperfections into love. So that's the little way. Of course, that's what she's referring to in this letter to Father Rulan when he's in China. And it's obviously very central and very deep to the entirety of her message. So the little way in some regards, we've talked in previous conversations, Father Gallagher, about the big three. Be aware, understand, take action. Really, the little way is the little three. Straight, short, and new. Straight, short, and new. And that is a practice that we all can undertake every single day. And so often we want to dive more into knowing God. That, like you said, the desires. We might have a desire to undertake Bible studies and to enter into parish programs and missions. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to do all those things. And those in themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes when we take on too much, it can be discouraging. This way is like the little way is daily acts and the little three that we can enter into all the time, isn't it? Little in the sense that it's accessible, it's hidden, it's small. All of words that apply to Therese, you know, very, very uh, easily. But not little in the heroism of the love. Uh, Sister Marie of the Trinity says, it consists in doing the small daily acts with the greatest possible love. Greatest possible for me in my real circumstances, with whatever my limitations of physical limitations or emotional strains or whatever it might be, situation in life, there is always a way of performing these acts in what is for me in real terms in this situation, the greatest love that I can put into them. Do it. And you're living the little way. And do it, obviously, at the same time with a sense of how little you are and how little you're capable, but there's no sadness in that. You bring that to the Lord. With There's confidence. a victory in every single thing, isn't there? I mean, every straight, short, new, every moment you say yes to that, it's a victory, and the victory is His. It's not even not our victory, it's a victory of love. That's what she means by being a child. I can't do it. Here's this stairway up ahead of me. I'm just a little child. I'll get exhausted after two or three steps and have to give up, but there's an elevator. And that's Jesus and his grace. All I have to do is turn to him. And all I have to do really, I mean, it's, it's so, well, straight, short, and in this sense, new. New, not, not absolutely, but new in the sense that it's a representation of the gospel in a time where much of this had been lost. 
And in that sense, new in the sense that the gospel is new. It's really just the essence of the gospel. As John Paul II said, he went to Lisieux at one point and uh, in a lovely homily said that, that really what she's doing is representing the gospel, the essence of the gospel in, uh, in her little way. And we can do it. Yeah, I, I could see new in, in the sense that it's as fresh as every day. It's fresh as every moment. It's straight, short, new in every opportunity. It just, as a, you uh, discussed before, the seminarian that you encountered working out and you just passed him and smiled. Straight, short, new. New opportunity, did it, and left a seed of love. That it wasn't so much you, but it was Jesus in that graceful action that anointed his heart. And so as we see this, the consequence is that we find ourselves saying, oh, I can try to do that. And that's the answer to the desire to be holy, to be a saint. We don't have to settle for less. So you've said other times, it's evident to Therese that everything we need to become saints is already in our hands. It's just a question of how we live it. And that's the little way. So it's a very beautiful thing and a great gift to the church and something I think that needs to be refreshed all the time you know, in our consciousness. All right, I'd like at this point to move from the letters to uh, a few specific things in Therese. And the first of these is the experience that she calls the grace of my complete conversion. This is that Christmas experience when she's 14 years old. And she describes this in the uh, story of a soul. And then we'll look at some other things said about it. Now, when a saint uses this kind of language, the grace of my complete conversion, you, you set up and take notice. Something important is being said here. And it really is the, the pivotal moment in her life. And a way to approach this will be, before we read her own words, let's read what her sister Celine said in the process of canonization. She spoke about it at some length because it was an important moment in Therese's life. And she says this, At Christmas 1886, so Therese is 14, a notable change occurred in the state of her soul. But in order to understand her character and dispositions properly, it is important that we consider them by way of contrast before and after this date. So she describes Therese's condition before that event and then after. And I think it's worth going through this just to get a feel of what happened for Therese after her mother died when she was four. So there's a 10-year period in her life here. So before Christmas 1886, from the time she was four and a half, that is, from the time her mother died until Christmas 1886 when she was 14, Therese passed through a period of darkness. Not an easy life. It was as if a veil had been drawn over all the fine qualities which the Lord had bestowed upon her. Until that time, as she says, she was intelligent, vivacious, charming, people loved her. She laughed readily. That changed uh, powerfully when her mother died. Again, this was another and, and a crucial mother loss in her life. It was as if a veil had been drawn over all the fine qualities the Lord had bestowed on her. Her schoolmistresses recognized her intelligence, so she always excelled in, in her studies. But apart from the schoolmistresses, uh, no one saw that. But in the world, she was considered incompetent and stupid. 
This opinion was caused chiefly by her excessive shyness. She became very introspective, withdrawn, nervous. It made her indecisive and had a paralyzing effect on her in everything. My uncle, Monsieur Guerin, said that her instruction had been curtailed and her education incomplete, so he saw her as unintelligent, poorly educated. It is true that she laid herself open to being misunderstood by not saying much and always allowing others to do the talking. Contrary to appearances, her life was strewn with trials from childhood. She was suffering a real martyrdom in both soul and body. She had almost unceasing headaches, and the extreme sensitiveness of her heart and the refinement of her feelings were a still greater source of her sufferings. She bore all that without complaining, but it depressed her. It is important to notice that even at that stage in her life, she was on the whole quite a strong character, notwithstanding the apparent lack of energy which her extreme sensitiveness was the cause of in her. I could see this remarkable strength, for example, in the fact that her distress was never allowed to cause the slightest deviation from duty. Even during this period, I was never able to detect a change of character, a harsh word, or a failing of virtue in her. Her mortification was unceasing and extended to even the tiniest things in her life. She really is the saint of tiny things, you know which again is most of our lives. I don't think she let slip any opportunity to make sacrifices to God. So this, You can see where the little way comes from. I know she would agree with me about this fidelity in the midst of trials, for she said to me one day to give me a bit of encouragement during my novitiate that until the age of 14 she had practiced virtue without feeling the sweetness of it. So it's that difficult 10-year period. And on her deathbed, she told us, I have never refused God anything since I was three. Remarkable. She looked on the trials of this period of her life as God's particular way of training her in humility. Quote, I had needed this strict training all the more, she wrote, because I was not insensitive to praise. And Therese was intelligent. She was pretty. She drew attention easily to herself. And so she understood the suffering of these years as God's way of rooting her. In humility. The servant of God's most notable fault at this time was her hypersensitivity. She cried over the least bit of trouble, and then, when she had been comforted, she cried for having cried. She says this in the story of the soul. And you can imagine how hard life was for her, and how hard life, knowing that she was making life hard for others, and with that, that great sensitivity, she was, it, it all weighed on her. She admits herself that this state was a great weakness on her part and calls the sudden change she underwent on Christmas Eve, 1886, her, quote, conversion. It was a change that made her look extraordinarily self-possessed and courageous from then on. And she goes on. But that's the situation that Therese has been living for the preceding 10 years and that in spite of all her efforts, she's been helpless to change. We'll return to the letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. This is Dr. Anthony Lillis and Chris McGregor, and we invite you to join us in a once-in-a-lifetime Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage throughout the Holy Land. This will be a unique opportunity for contemplative prayer, spiritual teaching, and fellowship in one of the holiest areas on the earth. 
The place is touched by the lives of Jesus, Mary, and the apostles. During this time, we will also walk closely in the company of the prophet Elijah through the most miraculous moments in salvation history, which would later become pages in the gospel. Along with Sister Magdalite Balduc of the Community of the Beatitudes, the community of the famous Father Jacques Philippe, we hope to lead you into a new encounter with the great mysteries of our faith and a renewal of your devotion to the Lord. Join us May 23rd through June 2nd, 2020. Please visit discerninghearts.com for a full itinerary and learn more about the Discerning Hearts Trinitarian Pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Letters of St. Therese of the Sioux with Father Timothy Gallagher. So it was a dramatic twist after her mother's death. Her continence, everything seemed to shift. The psychologists, because a lot's been written about this, use the term uh, separation anxiety, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, she lost one mother after another uh, in very painful ways. And so you have this sense of, where can I attach myself emotionally? Where am I safe? Where can I trust that it won't be pulled out from under my feet? And so all of this uncertainty, the sensitivity, the shyness, the, the, the withdrawal, the apparently uh, just not being very intelligent, all, all of that results because of the separation anxiety. At least that's one, I think, very tenable way of approaching it emotionally. And so this is Therese now in the story of a soul. It was December 25th, 1886, that I received the grace of leaving my childhood, in a word, the grace of my complete conversion. 
We had come back from midnight mass, so Therese, uh, Celine, and her father had been to midnight mass in the local church. So it's, what is it going to be? One thirty in the morning, 2 in the morning, something like this. They have returned home. We had come back from midnight mass where I had the happiness of receiving the strong and powerful God. And the commentators note this, that there's a Eucharistic component to this moment. She has just received Holy Communion. Upon arriving at Les Buissonnets, the family home, I used to love to take my shoes from the chimney corner and examine the presents in them. This old custom, okay, let's, let's I'll take a look at that from this custom of gifts in the shoes. This was uh, a common enough custom in the French uh, cult- culture of the time. That was the way you would give the gifts to children. Well, let's go back to when Therese is two years old. And this is from a letter that her sister Marie, the oldest, writes to a, a schoolmate of hers. And she describes, this is December 27th, so she's describing the gift opening for Therese and Celine. Therese is two, Celine is six. There are also some happy children at home on Christmas Day. Therese and Celine received many gifts from the child Jesus, who never fails to pay his visit each Christmas night and to bring good children dolls and candy. All these beautiful things were not lacking for our two little girls, and it would be difficult to tell you about their joy and enthusiasm. On Christmas morning, still very sleepy, they came down in their nightgowns, concerned about nothing, but running like two little fools through the house looking for their slippers. They finally end up by finding them placed in front of the fireplace. They're running all over. They're there all the time. There were at least half a dozen of slippers, boots, galoshes, and all this was filled with bags of candy, little sugar sabbats, little Jesus cakes. But what appeared the most comical was to see a beautiful doll coming out of one of the shoes and waiting patiently to the arrival of the mamas. This is what gave the greatest pleasure to Therese, and when she noticed the famous doll, she threw everything aside to fly to it. All right, so that's, that's the, the custom that the family has used throughout the years. Now, Therese is 14, and in the culture of this time, she's a young woman already. To continue that custom, there's something babyish about it, something that is, and probably this is at work in what her, how her father's reaction now. Something's not right here. This is too babyish for a young woman of this age. I used to love to take my shoes from the chimney corner and examine the presents in them. This old custom had given us so much joy in our youth that Celine wanted to continue treating me as a baby, and you can see this is not right, since I was the youngest in the family. Papa had always loved to see my happiness and listen to my cries of delight as I drew each surprise from the magic shoes, and my dear king's gaiety increased my own happiness very much. But this time things are going to be different. However, Jesus desired to show me that I was to give up the defects of my childhood, and so he withdrew its innocent pleasures. He permitted Papa, tired out after the midnight mass, to experience annoyance when seeing my shoes at the fireplace, and that he speak those words which pierced my heart. Well, fortunately, this will be the last year. Now, if you go to the family home in Lisieux, you can see where this took place. There's the fireplace, and then there's a stairwell which goes upstairs. Therese, uh, the stairwell goes up, there's a landing, and it continues. This is my guess that her father and Celine are standing at the fireplace, which is just a few feet away from the the bottom of the staircase. Therese is up 
probably on the upper part of the stairwell, and so she's out of sight but within hearing. Her father doesn't know. Celine, who is so attuned to Therese, knows that Therese is, it will hear what her father says. And her father says, well, fortunately, this will be the last year. Now, Therese tells us that the reason her father says this is that he's tired. He's elderly. It's early in the morning. They've been up, and uh, he's tired, and so he just gets annoyed at this babyish custom. This is only my own guess, but quite likely... Part of this annoyance is really worry that uh, my daughter should be beyond this. She's not a baby anymore, and we're continuing these babyish customs with her. This is not good, what's happening here. Out of this, he uh, makes this remark, which Therese hears. Well, fortunately, this will be the last year. But now the unexpected happens. There's an infusion of grace here, which is going to radically change Therese's life. And this is the real reason why I wanted to quote this passage, because we may be battling with emotional burdens, and maybe for years, and have a sense that there really isn't much hope that anything can ever change. And probably we have to accept that in some cases, a certain level of struggle will remain. But things can really change. Grace can really work. And in this way, this after 10 years of helpless struggle with these anxiety, and as I say, the hypersensitivity, uh, the, the tears, and these, the sense of isolation, suddenly something new comes into this. But Therese was no longer the same. Jesus had changed her heart, and this is just where the, the, the grace comes. Forcing back my tears, now that is remarkable because Therese has for 10 years been unable to do this at all. She's simply been a, a slave to her tears, and unable to uh, to hold them back. Forcing back my tears, you can almost feel this young woman growing into maturity at this point. Forcing back my tears, I descended the stairs rapidly. This is decisive. Controlling the poundings of my heart, this is not easy for her. I took my slippers and placed them in front of Papa and withdrew all the objects joyfully. I had the happy appearance of a queen. Having regained his own cheerfulness, Papa was laughing. Now, Celine, who re- recognizes the magnitude of what's just happened, Celine believed it was a dream. Fortunately, it was a sweet reality. Therese had discovered once again the strength of soul which she had lost at the age of four and a half. That was when her mother died, and she was to preserve it forever. On that night of light began the third period of my life. Third period, that is, the first four years. Uh, until her mother's death, the ten difficult years that followed. And now she's writing about two years before her death. She's looking back on her life from that point and sees that from that night on, she has entered the third period of my life, she says, the most beautiful and the most filled with graces from heaven. The work I had been unable to do in ten years was done by Jesus in one instant, so don't ever give up. Grace can step in in unforeseen ways. Jesus is the healer, was done by Jesus in one instant, contenting himself with my goodwill, which was never lacking. She'd always tried, but helplessly, until then. I could say to him, like his apostles, and here's this where scripture always so easily flows, Master, I fished all night and caught nothing. Luke 5. 
More merciful to me than he was to his disciples, Jesus took the net himself, cast it, and drew it in filled with fish. So, as always, the metaphors, but what the metaphor means is her awareness that Jesus has stepped in with his love and his grace and has worked this change within her. And drew it in filled with fish. He made me a fisher of souls. And from that point on, she, she goes on to say, I experienced a great desire to work for the conversion of sinners, the desire I hadn't felt so intensely before. And then she goes on with all the newness that comes into her life now. Let's return once more to uh, her sister Celine in the, for the cause of beatification when she speaks about this. And we cited before her words about Therese's condition before this night of Christmas. And now let's read what she says about Therese after this experience. She herself admits that this state was a great weakness on her part, so all of the, the emotional struggles we've just mentioned, and calls the sudden change she underwent on Christmas Eve, 1886, her, quote, conversion. It was a change that made her look extraordinarily self-possessed and courageous from then on. As she says herself, Jesus made me strong, and from that blessed night onward, I was never again overcome in battle. On the contrary, I began, quote, to rejoice like a champion to run my course, again quoting from a psalm. She begins this giant's course, as she says, uh, from that point on. Therese herself, Celine goes on, gives a detailed account of the, of the circumstances surrounding the change that took place in her on that Christmas Eve, and that's the text we've just read. I witnessed the sudden change myself, and I thought I was dreaming when, for the first time, I saw her completely control herself in a disappointment that would previously have left her desolate, and then go and cheer my father up so charmingly. The change was permanent. Never afterward was she dominated by the dictates of her sensitiveness. Nor was this transformation limited to her self-possession. She blossomed forth and took an interest in practical expressions of zeal and charity. She longed for the salvation of souls and dedicated herself generously and fervently for the conversion of sinners. In a short time, God had brought her out of the narrow circle in which she had been living. And then you have uh, her description of her desire to work the conversion of Pranzini, the condemned criminal, and so on. All of this, this takes flight from this point on in her life. So there is more hope than we might often feel. That's never set limits to God's grace. And those efforts that seem so hopeless year after year after year may well be preparing a moment of grace that will make a real difference in the struggles and battles that we may experience in life. That's how Therese sees it herself. I never stopped. I kept trying without fruit, without any real change. But those efforts were there, were placed in Jesus' heart. And in the right moment, he worked uh, the grace. Uh, Father Gallagher, that moment for her, this period of conversion, she reflects on, as you said, about two years before her death. So she's looking back on her life. It sounds almost what occurs sometimes in the course of the spiritual exercises, where there's that time when you go back and you look at moments in your life and you can see where Jesus was. Not that she necessarily actually had a period in the spiritual exercises. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was ever chronicled. But 
that is something that all of us can do, can't we? When we look back on our life and reflect on key moments where we seem to have experienced an extraordinary grace. Yes, Ignatius does have the person praying the exercises do that, and specifically in the contemplation to attain divine love, where at the beginning of that prayer he invites the person to go back over his or her life story. Well, kind of like Therese, to look at, we each have a story of a soul, and to look back and see the way God has loved us and blessed us and poured out his gifts upon us. It's also something that St. Teresa of Avila counsels, and that is a remembering when there have been moments of grace, maybe fruitful times in prayer, or maybe moments in our life when we've seen God's loving intervention. Don't just go by those, as she says, go back, remember them. And the grace will be renewed and deepened and continue to fortify us. So certainly we can do this. I suppose if we want to make a very concrete Ignatian application of this, the daily examine prayer begins for Ignatius this way. The first thing we do on a daily basis is we look at the story of our soul for that day. And which it's always the same in terms of what God is doing. He only does one thing, which is very clear for Ignatius. The God who is love pours out in very concrete ways his love upon us. And so the first thing we do in reviewing the day is to see that story of God's love very concretely. It's a very encouraging thing to do. I know in my own experience, doing what Ignatius counsels us to do became very welcome to me over the years because you know how we can get to the end of a day sometimes and feel a certain grayness, you know, that maybe things didn't go all that well this day. Maybe something happened in the afternoon that was difficult and it's coloring the day. When you uh, break through that, go back to the start of the day and remember, oh, you know, this morning some really beautiful things happened. Well, you start to get a much truer picture of the day. And what I would find is my spirits would lift gently at the end of the day. And I began to look forward to doing that. So yes, to remember God's gifts, God's graces, God's blessings is really a wonderful thing in the spiritual life. I have to say, I love that, the story of a soul for this day. This is the story of our soul for this day. It's one way in which I think we can understand the daily examine prayer, and that is just with the Lord looking at the story of our soul for that day, doing for the day what Therese does for her life here, really. You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher.